287. I'm your host, soldier, first class, Mike Apps, and with me as always. Gonna be a hero, David McCrony, Panama Master. And um, evidently we're both thinking of the same thing. I think so. And uh, there sure was a lot of stuff at the Game Awards the night after we recorded last week. <laughs> Oh yeah, wasn't there a lot of stuff? I felt like there was not a lot of stuff. But... There's kind of a lot of stuff for. I usually don't expect a lot of stuff I care about, and there were two huge things I went absolutely bonkers for. So Hades two is one of them. Yes, so Hades two is a thing, and uh, was not the thing I expected. Super Giant Games has never, ever, ever done a sequel in their relatively brief history. I mean, you say relatively brief, but we're now like 12 years in. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I kind of figured it out almost right away, because the new main character looks a lot like the last main character, so maybe it's their kid or other relative of some kind. Well, if they, if they, I, I would assume that it will not be the protagonist of Hades 1's kid, just because that would immediately force a lot of interpretations onto the protagonist of Hades 1. That's uh, true. Like dangerous water to tread. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, but it looks like this will involve going up against Kronos in this one. And that naturally seems like it'll feed into the uh, roguelike mechanics. And then you'll have to go up against the Norse gods. That's, that's what I've learned these work like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hades 3. Kill Odin. <laughs> now, if they were really doing it, it would be uh, you'd be fighting, like do, do something more interesting, fight Osiris or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. It yeah. reminds me that I still need to play Hades. Yes, it's very good. It's it it really does something I never thought Rogalikes could do, and that it presents a linear linear story. That's <laughs> a story that progresses in a linear fashion. And it makes sense of the roguelike mechanics. And it just works. It's very good. Uh, so what else were you excited about? Um, Armored Core 6. Oh, yeah. Uh, not a game I, I ever thought would be announced at a gigantic event. Like, it's a big deal. But uh, Elden Ring makes it so that everyone has to yeah. like, at least pretend to care about Armored yeah, I mean, Dark Souls was really popular, but Elden Ring is like on this whole lo other level. I don't think Elden Ring is we really appreciate yet. <laughs> Elden Ring is deep into the territory where it may end up outselling Dark Souls as a lifetime, yeah, like, as a franchise. It big, it very big. It's at seventeen and a half million in one year, yeah. which is more than like you know anything but the biggest world beaters. Yeah. And if you don't think it's big, you're you're wrong. <laughs> like straight up wrong. Yeah. Like, Re-examine re your perspective because it's wrong. Uh, yeah. uh, Elden Ring is a big deal, and naturally it won Game of the Year. And although I, once I finish it, I'll probably say, but but Xenoblade. I mean, but I can't it's really like, say no it's one undeserving. Would look at it and say, like, yeah, like no one would look at it and say that didn't. Yeah. That's silly. Like, if God of yeah, War won it, I probably would have said, well, that didn't deserve it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I personally, like, I'm a little burned out on the similarity of all the Souls games, and I count Elden Ring among that. But, like, you know, most people aren't playing all of these, so it's, it's not going to hurt them as much. So, you know, and like taken in a vacuum, it's probably the it's probably among the strongest that they've done. So I yeah. can't really like complain. Uh, oh, congrats yeah. to them! Yeah. Well earned, and it's cool to see them bring back that franchise. And I'm so excited to see what they're going to do with it. Yeah, with they likely had to immediately a bigger budget. Go on, like, a much bigger budget. They had to immediately like go on like. A, store to basically say no it's not gonna play like uh like dark souls yeah which is, to me is good oh yeah 100 like that's uh, yeah I'll, I'll be talking more about armored core when we get to things we've been playing so yeah oh uh, but uh yeah and i'll have some more things to say about what they've been saying about yeah armored core sticks when we get to that uh, I think my highlights in this were Bayonetta Origins. That was yeah, the, the perhaps the most left field thing that I saw because I you know did not expect that. Yeah, that, that looks really cute, uh, and I did not expect that to be coming out very shortly. No, <laughs> no, it comes out in March. Yeah, we that's not heard, uh... we had not heard a single iota about it until that day. Yeah, that is soon. Yeah, I mean, it looks really nice. It looks really cute. Platinum is good, and I'm glad that there seems to be a commitment from both Platinum and Nintendo to just keep doing Bayonetta. Yeah, no, I'm glad they got the action award. That, that was have, that was well deserved. Yes, I would have screamed if that didn't happen. Like what? I can't even imagine like giving that. <laughs> Like this is their thing, and they do there's, it the best. There's, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing this year that's been even approaching. No, action game. And I haven't even finished it, and I can confidently say that. Yeah. Uh, what else did I care about? Uh, I'm intrigued by Death Stranding too, even though I've not finished Death Stranding because it was too depressing to play when it uh, when I would have had the most time to. Yeah. Uh, to the point, like, a, a statement so obvious that Kojima, when he was after the initial reveal trailer, basically said, yeah, I had to rewrite the plot of Death Stranding 2, which I'd had in mind while making Death Stranding 1, because I, like, didn't want to predict the future again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, in any other context, like, you'd be, like, it would be just like, fuck you for saying that, but I mean, like, I mean, I don't, I don't blame him. No. <laughs> when, you, when you write something like that, and then immediately a pandemic that kind of does the less exaggerated version of that happens. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. Oof. Um, let's see. What else did they show? Um, I don't think there's much, like, RPG adjacent. Oh, yeah. No, not a ton. Not a ton. There was an FF16 trailer. Uh, I'm sure that anyone... That cares about that game is sick of me complaining about it. This was the least boring looking trailer so yes, far. Yes, the action looked good, so I mean, that's the yeah. Thing, the action was the thing. The thing that mattered to me not was not so much the action looked good. I'm not concerned about the action, even though I don't personally want Final Fantasy to play like Devil May Cry. It very much just looks like it's trying to play like Devil May Cry. Didn't they already uh, do that? <laughs> which game? Kind of. Uh, 
I always get this game's names wrong. Final Fantasy Origin, Stranger. No, in Stranger Paris? Paradise is. Is that more Dark Soulsy? Yeah. Okay, because I haven't really played beyond like a few minutes. It keeps getting yeah. put on the back burner. It was made by the Neo team. Uh, okay. But it, it, like uh, sixteen is like they they literally hired a man away from the Devil May Cry team at Capcom to design its battles. So it's like that that is the game they are trying. Like that is the kind of battle system. I I like I I do not mind action RPG Final Fantasy combat. Like obviously I I I am dumped very hard for things like FF7 Remake, and like I even think that 15 has like a lot of good things about its combat system, even if it is flawed. Uh, but I think that the things that I like about those games is that they are very much like, they are action RPG combat systems, where there's a lot of RPG going on in them in a way that this sort of looks like it's pushing away from. Mm. Like, this is much more just an action game with RPG in it. Yeah, like if that's the way that they make it look. Yeah, if this was riffing more on Seven Remake, I would be excited. But the the things that the things that could give me hope was that yeah, the combat looks fine, but they finally showed an area that had like colors that are like blues and greens, and that had not really been shown in prior things. And it's like, oh, thank God, at least it doesn't all look the same. <laughs> Uh, just the people thing. Uh, yeah, let's not think about that bit though. Um, but yeah, uh, it, you know that that looks that looks a little better than uh, than it had before. It still it still looks relentlessly dour. They showed a chocobo getting injured and blood getting splattered yeah. on the child's face, which is still super not. Type zero sure. part two. Super, super not into that. Super not thrilled with that. But it is what it is. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, uh, the thing that I actually cared the most about was the Street Fighter Six release date. Which uh, what was that? In June. June third. Nice. I'm going to okay. beat your ass up and down. The entire fucking like world of Metro City. I'll accept no less. And they showed uh, four of the characters, presumably the first set of DLC characters. Uh, three of them are new. Three. Uh, had uh, Manon, who is a French ballet. Uh, lady who uh, she seems to be them kind of trying to uh, re uh, to redo Abel from Street Fighter 4 who was nominally that game's protagonist but is so boring that no one has ever cared about him as a character there are people who like Abel's gameplay there's no one who likes Abel the character, not because they dislike him, but because there is nothing to care about. Oh, you're doing the Elite Four. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, he uh, had a pretty unique gameplay style that she seems to have at least some of. Uh, and she is also another French Street Fighter character. Sweet. Yeah. A- Abel, Abel was, I think, the only <laughs> other one, so... Yeah. Uh, and then they showed uh, Marisa, who is a gigantic Italian lady uh, whose hair looks like a fucking helmet. And like, yeah, she's, she just looks like getting uh, very very much the brawler archetype, the gigantic get punched in the face and you've lost like, you know, you're, you're going to lose a lot of health. Uh, kind of the, the punchier uh, counterpart to the uh, Zangief type grappler. Uh, then uh, JP, I think is his name. Uh, he's, he's one of the. He seems to be in the same line of characters as G from five and Q from three. Uh, like seems to be jungled up in that same conspiracy. Uh, uh, he he looks he looks absolutely monstrous to actually play because he has all sorts of like teleports and zoning shit. He looks obnoxious to actually fight. Sweet. And... Oh hey, didn't expect to see you here. Hey, uh, I've got approximately uh, half an hour before I need to leave and pick up little girls from nursery school to take them to the hospital. So. Okay, then we'll then we'll make this quick. And then the fourth character they showed was DJ, oft uh, oft forgotten among the uh, additional characters from Super Street Fighter Two. Uh, Who? DJ, you're. I know, be a Okay, of course I know DJ. DJ is fun. Uh, last time he appeared was in Street Fighter Four, and in that game, he was produced by a group of people who seemed to feel that they had have been forced to include him. Because that's never a good sign. <laughs> yeah, he, he is extremely mediocre throughout that entire game's lifetime. Uh, never never like so bad that they felt like they had to like buff him, but always in like treated as a bottom five character in a cast that by the end had forty four characters in it. So uh, that that was that was generally the only version of Street Fighter 4 that DJ is considered used, like decent in is uh, Street Fighter 4 Omega a version basically no one plays but uh, that's uh, he's, he's back and it seems like the SF6 team looks like they actually have plans for him they are the team that made Street Fighter 4 Omega to, uh, like in large portion like not entirely but largely that the Street Fighter 4 Omega team went on to make Street Fighter 5 and seemed to have rolled straight into Street Fighter 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, he'll probably at least be good this time. <laughs> so that's something. Uh, but yeah. So th- those are the things we cared about at the Game Awards. Fight me IRL, and by IRL I mean in Street Fighter 6. <laughs> um, <laughs> is this the real life, or is it just fantasy? Cotton Landslide. Um, but yeah. Uh, Landslide sounds like it should be a good Street Fighter finishing move. Yeah, yeah, I could see someone having that. 
but yeah. Uh, let's see. Is there any other news we want to hit before we get into what we've actually been playing? Uh, uh, there's something that's escaping me. Uh, oh, oh East. East. Double East. I say, we're going to go with the easy option here. Yeah, nice. East Penn Nordic and East Memoir, the Oath and Pokemon. East Penn, they finally, they've finally done it. The absolute madman. They've let Adol be the one driving the ship. Sweet, he's going to crash it. There's, there's going to be inevitably. So much. Like you're going to have to rebuild your ship every time you start it. Every time you reach a new island. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's that's been announced for Switch, PS4, and PS5. Uh, it looks like they have gone a bit more in on like stylized shading in the last couple of games, which I appreciate. Uh, and it will be the first East game on Switch. Well, it won't actually be the first East game on Switch that Falcon develops because they're currently developing East Memoir in Falcon. But it'll be the first new East game that gets a native uh, Switch conversion from Falcon itself. So. That'll be nice. Uh, I think that's just set for a nebulous 2023 release date, presumably latter half of the year. Uh, and East Memoir of Pagana has some slightly touched up art as an option. Uh, it has a no death mode, which is interesting. Or no fall mode, I should say. Like if you fall off something, you can just jump, like be set right back where you uh, fell, which some of the platforming I'm, could be. I'm guessing know. the platforming was not very popular with the original version. I liked the platforming, but I would imagine that it was divisive. Uh, Oath and Felgana as a whole is extremely a popular. group that has loudly complained about falling off the side of the cliff too often. <sighs> uh, yeah, I, I like... Uh, Oath and Felgana is definitely in contention for the best East, so... Uh, that's that's nice to be getting a Switch version, and especially because they're adding in additional soundtracks like they did with Chronicles for East 1 and 2. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll have access to the PC-8801 soundtrack and the Sharpex-68000 soundtrack in addition to the original uh, Oath and Felgana soundtrack. So you get two different versions in the Wanderers from East version of the soundtrack and the Oath and Felgana. Which is nice. The... How many games are included in this set? This is just a game. This is East Memoir okay, of okay. Pagana. Okay, I'm getting confused with something else then. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, East Memoir, Oath and Pagana. It's, it's just Oath and Pagana. It's not like they don't include any version of Wanderers from East, which would be nice because, you know, it's an interesting game. And more than I think a lot of people realize, Oath and Pagana is actually a very faithful remake, except that it completely changed the perspective. So it's mm. a very strange remake. I mean, it wouldn't be an East remake if it weren't somehow very strange. Yeah, it's just like, it may, you know, because Original Wanderers from East is a side-scrolling action RPG of a type that existed mostly on Japanese PCs back in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, and Falgana is a much more traditionally, like, here's a top-down East game that plays much like East 6, but we're fine. And... (laughs) Yeah, it's it's one of the, it's one of if not the best East. It's, uh, you know, it's a very it's 
it, it's mostly shocking when you play uh, Wanderers from East to realize how closely they stuck to the source material to the point where there's like lots of landmarks that are like, oh, I recognize this. <laughs> and it's like, you wouldn't think that would be possible in a conversion from a side scrolling to a top down game. Yeah, here we are. Uh, but yeah, um, so that's, that's coming. That looks, that'll be good. And no matter what you think of Pokemon, all three of those soundtracks will be worth listening to. Oh, for sure. The PC88 uh, tracks for uh, Wanderers from East are all fantastic. And I don't think I've ever heard a significant portion of it that's rendered through the Sharp X68000 on its own. But yeah. East. East. What have we been playing? It's easy to get excited about. Fucking fight you. What have we been playing, Gaiden? Oh, I'm, I'm still on the same game as before, but I'm currently in the Big Bang Burgerverse. Oh, yeah, that's a big place. Yeah, with the the villain who looks like a very interesting cross between Darth Vader and Ming the Merciless. Yeah, they're very much uh, going for that like old pulp sci-fi style. With, uh, the... I do like the fact that so far, most of the robot drones in the area have looked like Daleks. <laughs> Every kind of pulp sci-fi that could. Yep, you could reasonably rip off without being a copyright suit. Yep, pretty much. But yeah, Persona Five Royal. It's still good. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I kind of wondered about some of the flame wars from three years ago with the Persona, or no, from earlier this year, where some of the Persona Five fans were disappointed with Megaton Five. Just and like I can understand why they have this attitude now. <laughs> it's because just even just only comparing things that Megaton Five did to things that Persona Five did directly, like combat, much better. <laughs> did not like Shimegami Tensei Five's version of the press turn system hmm. much. I appreciated it, but I haven't yeah. finished it so. I'll see yeah. what like one of the things I had to note in the review is that the way that it handled turn gains and losses, mm -hmm. depending on enemy strengths, what you hit them mm -hmm. with, pretty much meant that any of the hit-all magic attacks were worthless. Mm -hmm. They always have trouble yeah. balancing those. Yep. Uh, yeah, good, good to know you're still having a good time. Wheels. Yes. What have you been playing? Uh, well, in addition to Pokemon, which we streamed again on Sunday night. Yeah, a lot which of I fun. credits on for Sunday. Nice. Uh, I have started playing for the season Cthulhu Saves Christmas. <laughs> which oh, is... Hey, I remember this Pokemon that you have. <laughs> yeah, you traded it to me. Seemed important. But, uh, yeah, Cthulhu Saves Christmas, which is exactly what I expected and and I mean that in like absolutely the best way possible. There's Cthulhu, there's Christmas, there's it's, saving ball. It's hilarious. I remember helping to edit the site's review for that and helping to format the opening parody of the Twas Night Before Christmas. Oh <laughs> uh, I mean he I mean he wrote most he wrote the entire thing. I just suggested one line change and how to format it properly to make it look like a poem. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's 
it's a lot of fun and it seems like there's some like little it's got almost like a mini persona system so there'll probably be some different jokes and things to say on future playthroughs so uh, it's been quite enjoyable i like it nice. uh and i also did fire up uh crisis core on the switch finish just finished the opening mission uh it looks and runs great so i'm looking forward to more of that yeah you would not you would not look at that and think that it was originally a ps like yeah they did, no. a, they did a bang up job uh modernizing the art and who oh boy they fixed uh, they fixed the things that i've really disliked about the combat system so the uh zach generally uh, fights in a much smoother fashion than he once did so that's uh Got, got nothing but uh, good things to say about that right yeah. now, Spear. If anything staying in your hand, especially if you're we're concerned about falling from the switch, it's pretty much a rock solid 30 frames. Yeah, I got a very nice steel book, too. Best Buy. Yeah, I didn't get that. Watching the stream. What was, uh, what's, what kind, what's on the steel book, anyway? Uh, it's got Zack on the front, and it's got like his sword and the logo on the back. And the inside oh. is kind of like. I think like the classic Japanese cover, part of it anyway. Hmm. Yeah, I'm still looks... reeling from how bad the Best Buy Steelbook looks for FS13. Oh, it looks absolutely horrendous. <laughs> it's good to use the Amano art. The Amano art's nice. That's usually what they put on the Steelbooks. That's yeah, why yeah. I was very confused when they showed the Steelbook that was I... just a render of the protagonist's head. I, and I did. I pre-ordered like the deluxe edition from there, and apparently they still give you that steelbook as well, even though the deluxe edition has its own steelbook. Which is probably a better steelbook. Oh, I'm sure. I, I think it's still not the Amano Arp, though, for some reason. I, I, I don't know. Let me look at this. Uh... Oh, hey, it's a Mastodon notification. Oh, a Mastodon. Oh, hey, a new follow. Sweet. Alright. Hooray! <coughs> anyway, yeah, that's... Oh they, are, they are absolutely in love with the idea that, like, this grumpy man staring at you is, like, a great marketing image. He's just, no, he just looks like a dork. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's it's much better. It's still not the Amano art for some reason. It's him looking grumpy, but also clutching a sword because he's in agony for some reason. Uh... But it, at least yeah. it's not just a render of his fucking head. Jesus. <laughs> it's like, did Square fire their entire marketing department sometime in the past, or what? I, I don't know what's happened there, because, like, I don't, like... The people, like, people who are not me dig the trailers, but, like, whoever is, like, putting out, like, the key images is just falling it down on the job repeatedly. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, are you fighting at the Dunsparce? Um, no, it's, uh, Claude Sire. Oh, Claude Sire, that's right. But yeah, um, what did we, uh, we were talking about something and then I got distracted by, uh, Steel, uh, 7, uh, Crisis Core F7 Reunion. Yeah, that's, that's real good. Um, they, they uh, I can see why in interviews they were talking about all this reunion wasn't really quite a remake, it wasn't really quite a remake, just a remaster. 
So we just went with like a thematic uh, name for it that would not denote a desire. And yeah, it's 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 very good. Um, nothing but good things to say about that. Also fascinating for being one of the only games I've seen that credits Tosei in its opening credits. Huh. <laughs> because uh, when they when they do the like ostentatious opening credits where like all the people in key roles have like their names like carefully fade in and then fade out uh, in like the characteristic font. Uh, the ones who were not from Square, who were from Tosei, just have a little Tosei under their name. Huh. It's like, huh, interesting. It, it's, it's usually very hard to get it, it, through a combination of companies typically don't want to credit them, and Tosei typically doesn't ask for credit, seemingly doesn't want it. So it's usually pretty hard to get them to take credits. So, you know, it's, it's interesting to see it acknowledged, because... Uh, Tosei have been porting Final Fantasy games since, like, 1996. They they are... I don't know that they were ever officially credited, but there is very little reason to believe that they were not the ones who ported Final Fantasy 4, 5, and 6 to the PS1. So, they uh, they have a long history of porting Final Fantasy games. <laughs> so, you know what? They, they deserve some uh, some recognition and mm. credit score. Uh... Also, hey, Pew, and yes, uh, apologies for throwing off your schedule. <laughs> Things happen. Your viewing schedule. But, uh, the, uh, so I've also been playing Crisis Core Union. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I'm glad to hear that uh, my impressions of the intro portion seem to be correct. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's... The, it's it, by default the best version of uh, Crisis Block. It, it fixed the things that I think are actually that you can fix about that game that I think are wrong with it, which is again mostly to do with like this kind of weird idiosyncrasy to the combat system that doesn't fly along. It actually seems to uh, there, there's some nice things that they did. Uh, the uh, special attacks you get from the slot machine in the corner of the digital mind wave those you now uh, they don't activate the second the DMW gives them to you you now have they now bank and you have like a button to use them oh that's uh, good so you can actually make choices with those which is nice um, they I don't believe it's been a minute since I played the original I don't believe this feature was in there I believe it's essentially been imported from the FS7 remake but basically uh, in FF7 Remake, if Cloud is far away from an enemy, he can sort of slide to them uh, to close distances, uh, just as part of his attack animations, just to make it easier to play a melee character in certain environments. And Zack seems to be able to do that in this as well. He will sort of slide to an enemy if he's moving from one enemy to another, which makes it a little uh, less finicky to actually hit enemies, uh, which, you know, always nice. Uh, combat's generally a lot smoother. Uh, they've the the original had this weird thing where you would after you did an attack, there would be like a noticeable pause, and then you would hit it again to continue your combo. And it was like very weird. It slowed the game down in a very strange fashion, and that's gone. Like the 
the attack speeds are not like instantaneous because you're still swinging around a big heavy sword and the animations are meant to communicate that but uh, you know they, there's no longer this weird you finish an attack way to beat and then now you can start your next attack uh, that, that's gone uh, they, they change in a much more uh, smooth looking fashion which just generally makes them feel better to do which is good because they're going to be doing them a lot that's just sort of how the game is um, but yeah they didn't fix. They didn't break anything uh, work before, but they've just done a good bit of polish on everything that was uh, kind of frustrating about playing the game originally. So, uh, good work on their part. Uh, every single line of dialogue in the game is voiced now, which uh, I, I don't care too much. But like, it's decent voice acting, and you know, I know a lot of people care a lot about that. So, it's there. Um, so yeah, just uh, an all-around excellent little, uh, can't really call it a remake, can't really call it a remaster. All-around excellent breaking in. And the other thing I've been playing is, in honor of the bizarre announcement, Armored Core 1! <laughs> Yay! The very first one on the PS1. All like the way back one. from 1997. That game is now a quarter of a century old. Um, a well has it aged. Dust. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was doing that just for else. Um, so I think that if you go into it with the right set of expectations, it is still a playable game. The problem is that the set of expectations you need to hold requires you to be very okay with something that controls like butt. Um, <laughs> it was a PS1 game from before there were, were analog sticks of any kind. And it is a very three-dimensional game. And that is already enough to be like, like warning, warning red flags. There's, there's so much that's like unfriendly about this. And to make matters worse, the controls are fully customizable. That's good. You cannot reach the customization screen until you have finished a very difficult tutorial mission. That is not so much a tutorial as it is the game drops you in the center of a fight and says, try to survive. That ain't good. I remember yeah. that. So as was du jour in... Uh, 1997 when the game came out uh, to move the camera up and down you use L2 and R2 that's not intuitive at all um, they didn't have a lot of choice there's no uh, they, and they had already made the decision that the circle and square buttons controlled your uh, arms and legs, or not arms and legs, they, your left and right arm, and X is, I believe, by default map to be your booster button. It's weird. It's it's a weird it's a weird ass control scheme. I get why they did it. Um, for my own uh, sanity. Huh? What's that? Oh, I guess I guess he stepped away from him. Uh, the. For my own sanity, I had to immediately change the controls um, once I 
completed that tutorial, which luckily I managed to do on the first attempt, but I'm given to understand a lot of people end up uh, dying there and then saying fuck this game and stopping. <laughs> Uh, for, for fair reasons, but uh, I, I ended up remapping the controls so that looking up and down was mapped to uh, X and triangle to at least approximate like a intuitive concept of why you would be looking up and down with buttons. Uh, it, it's still it's still a weird ass control scheme no matter how you cut no matter how you cut it, and mm. because of the high control learning curve and how like punishing it feels when you look at a mission results screen and see that like half of your profits got eaten up by uh, the cost to repair your machine kept getting your ass beat because you couldn't control the game very well like a lot of people quit fairly early on it's after the first handful of missions it's honestly not too difficult it's not that bad but it it definitely it, it takes some getting used to and I'm given to understand that it keeps these controls until Armored Core, like, Nexus, which is like seven games in. It's wild. They, like, once they set that, they did not rethink that control scheme to accommodate a second analog stick until they had made four PS2 games. Wow. Um, the first PS2 game, from what I recall, does not even support the left analog stick. It is D-pad only. Oh, that's odd. It's it's very much a mindset. Like, there's a lot of early PS2 games that are just weird like that. Like, a lot of developers seemingly were just so unused to using the analog sticks, they didn't even think to do something with them. Mm. But, uh, yeah, like, so, started in on that. I'm, like, 20 missions in. There's, like, 47 total if you do all of them. And at least a few of them get locked out if you... Uh, because they're, like, mutually exclusive. So I'm probably about mm, pushing towards halfway through. Uh, only It only took, like, four hours. It's not a long game. Uh, but it's a more forgiving game than it seems like at first. Like, you're going to be saving before and after every mission anyway, because, like, there's nothing to be gained from just reattempting a mission with diminished resources after you, hmm. like, get killed and have to pay for your uh, armored cores repair. So, like, you're gonna, like, at that point, like, you'll probably, basically any mission, you're gonna end up with a net positive. And because of the weird, generous way the part system works, you actually have a lot of leeway to customize your armored core fairly quickly because uh, any part that you, any part that you buy sells for exactly as much as you bought it. Okay, that's at least nice. So it basically becomes like a situation where once you have money, the only thing that can really lose it for you is if you uh, just fail a mission and decide to restart, just retry the mission without loading your save. There's no compelling reason to ever do that. Uh, so... It's, it's one of those things where, like, you basically just get a... It, it might as well be that you're being allowed to check more things out of the Armored Core library at that point. Uh, because that's the only thing to spend money on, is Armored Core parts. There's, there's nothing else to buy, so... Uh, you, can, you can't lose money in Armored Core parts, because they don't ever drop in value. 
so it's it's more forgiving than it seems uh even if it's still kind of uh weird but the, the things i do want to say in uh about it is that when you do get through that there's there's a bunch of things that are interesting that you just lose yes badly i'm sorry <laughs> i have died badly um but yeah um I would recommend going and doing some terror raids and getting some. That's plan. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the, the things I do want to say that are good. Uh, uh, the story is not good as we would describe it, but the atmosphere. <laughs> the but the atmosphere is. Um, but when I say that the story is not good, I mean in the sense that like. If you are trying to create an A to B series of narrative events that makes any kind of sense, you're going to be writing approximately 50 to 60% of the fiction yourself. Uh, the only things that describe what is going on are the mission briefings and the uh, emails you get from either corporations that you've done missions for or your mysterious uh, intel supplier who just goes by R. Um, and there, there's some interesting things about that, like the the From Software hallmark of stories are things that uh, you kind of are going to be spending at least half of your time trying to piece together, let alone just interpreting the events. Uh, it, it, it does give the game a certain atmosphere. Uh, the, the setting is fundamentally an interesting one, even if the game uh, does a very... I'm not even sure if I would call it a poor job of communicating it. It just abdicates the idea of communicating it. Uh, but basically, you've got two primary like cor there are, there are two primary corporations, uh, Murakumo and uh, Chrome, I think is what it's called. Uh, they're both uh, just monsters. Uh, like both of them have seem to be. Uh, funding at least one terrorist organization uh, to do extra-legal murder on their behalf, uh, mostly to fight each other. And I question why they would even need to do that by virtue of the fact that there is no government on the planet that seems capable of actually stopping them from doing something if they set their mind to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like... Uh, and you just, you just end up bouncing between contracts between the two until they decide that you're a useful enough pawn to start trying to destroy each other, and then eventually, the one that you uh, fight against uh, seems to start going out of business, basically, because you cause enough problems. Uh, but it, it's, it's an interesting setting. I haven't even touched on the fact that uh, according to statements that certain, uh, certain statements that have been made thus far uh, I believe most of humanity is living underground. Uh, and that's why you basically only ever see armored... Like, armored cores are the only thing you ever see above ground. Like, usually you're, like, in cave systems or warehouses or shit like that. And so that that whole thing's a bit weird. Uh, but it's weird in how underemphasized it is. Like, it was one of those things that's, like, when I saw it in the mission briefing referencing the idea of it being weird to be above ground, I was what? Oh, I guess I guess most of humanity is underground. It, it's a weird game, but it has a, it has a real atmosphere. And the other thing is, that despite the weird ass controls, um, 
or at least in part because of them. The game is it's very satisfying when you actually successfully pilot an armored core properly. <laughs> uh, because when an armored core is just walking, it's extremely heavy. It's an extremely heavy object. Uh, and it, it communicates that well. Like Even a fast set of legs is a very slow uh, process relative to most things that you're playing. Uh, but you can uh, you also have your boosters your boosters uh, will will get you going nice and zippy and you will feel like a giant ass piece of machinery that is being forced to move at an, at an unnatural speed like you have a heavy sense of weight and momentum if you're sort of as you're trying desperately to float your way to the correct place so it feels really good when you like make a fairly like not not even necessarily a complex but a difficult uh piloting maneuver to actually put, put yourself in the right position on that first try it you know it feels satisfying when you manage it so uh and uh to to tie this back to the armored core 6 announcement uh the the two things the so so immediately after armored core 6 was announced Hidetaka Miyazaki and I forget what the other guy's name is, but he he's like kind of the the second uh, like major director level talent currently working at From Software. Uh, I think he directed Sekiro as well. Um, basically, uh, so they they went on a press tour to basically assure people, no, this will not play like Elden Ring. <laughs> it will not play like a Souls game. Uh, they, they were very emphatic. Uh, like, there's an IGN interview where they get asked like five different ways. Like, how did uh, you know? Now that you've done Dark Souls, how did this? Uh, how would that influence? How did that influence? Or how was that? Will that influence this? And the answer to all those is basically money. It has money now. I was jealous. Uh, like, Hidetaka Miyazaki's first game he directed was Armored Core Four, and he was like. The thing I'm jealous of is, like, I wish that I had had this much money to make Armored Core 4. Like, money is the thing that they are taking from Elden Ring and Dark Souls. The design philosophy that they outline is sourced very directly from the things I was just talking about that I think the game does well. The customization and the sense of, like, difficult but interesting controls. The, the sense of controlling the Armored uh, and based on who's making it, it will probably play more like Armored Core 4, which was infamous for making the game way the fuck faster. But it is one of those things where it's like, the point is that like the experience of trying to control these giant robots is like the key, is a considered a key selling point of why the game is fun. Uh, and Armored Core 4 was very good. Hmm. You liked it? Yes, well, I like the the second version of it. Four answer, which yeah. is a sequel. Yeah. Because I need to get going now. Oh, sorry. Uh, do you want to do you want to do your plug now? Um, I'm not sure if I have enough time because I actually need to get okay, ready I'll... now. All right. Okay, then I'll we'll take care of it for you. Thank you. It's been interesting hearing about games I've never played. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being so patient. Yeah. Well. Uh... Nick, um, will we be doing this next week? We should be. Yeah. On the 21st, for you guys? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'll be on the 23rd. See you again. See ya. But yeah, uh, I do want to point out that it's very funny to me that they called this game Armored Core 6 because it was the 15th Armored Core game. <laughs> let's, uh... let's go down this list. Uh, Armored Core, Project Phantasma, Master of Arena, Armored Core 2. Armored Core 2, Another Age. Armored Core 3. Okay, the next, like, five of them, I don't know what order they're in. None of them have numbers, and they all have very generic subtitles. I believe the answer is Silent Line Armored Core, Armored Core Nexus, Armored Core Last Raven, uh, Armored Core Nine Breaker, Armored Core Formula Front, uh, then Armored Core 4, Armored Core 4 Answer, Armored Core 5, and Armored Core Verdict Day. That was 15 games. I don't know if I got all the PS2 games in the right order. They, there was a period where there was one of these a year. Yeah. It was wild. It, it is wild to think back on how many of those are. Also, I'd like to point out, uh, there are debates about which and how many of these are remakes of Armored Core 1. <laughs> uh, prime candidates. Wild. Prime candidates for being remakes of Armored Core 1 would be Armored Core 3. That's the one people seem to be most willing to agree is a remake. Uh, Armored Core 5 gets a lot of debate about whether it's a remake. And most bafflingly, Armored Core Master of Arena, which you may note is the third game in the series, and technically an expansion to Armored Core. <laughs> <laughs> but if you actually pay attention to its story and note that Armored Core 1 and Armored Core Master of Arena have exactly the same final boss, you are still fighting Nine Ball in both of them. Uh... By all appearances, based on the events of the game, Master of Arena is a remake of Armored Core 1. It came out two years after Armored Core 1. Oh, that's, that's wild. Truly bizarre. Uh, you could transfer save data into it from Armored <laughs> Core 1. That's why, all, that's why all this is so wild. Like, From Software was just this weird company for s such a long time. Like They were such a strange company. They... Enchanted Arms, brought to you by the developers of Elden Ring. <laughs> Lost Kingdom, brought to you by the Elden Ring. Kingdom. Yeah. Uh, Adventures of Cookie and Cream, brought to you by the Elden Ring. Kingdom. Kingsfield. Anyone else, remember, <laughs> anyone else remember Adventures of Cookie and Cream? No. That was a that was a co-op, a specifically co-op PS2 game where you had like you were. Essentially, having like trying to get two bunny rabbits to the end of a level by helping each other solve puzzles. It's it's very deliberately one of the cutest things you've ever seen, and it was designed to, essentially, if I recall, it was designed to be played by couples. So like, you controlled, like the idea was that one of the co-op modes would be that each person held one half of the PS2 controller. Like, one player had the face buttons in R1 and R2, and one player had the D-pad in L1 and L2, so you would have to play it shoulder to shoulder uh, right next to each other. Hmm. But, I mean, that's that's the kind of weird thing From Software used to do. <laughs> uh, their original Xbox output is probably their, most, their highest quality before they started uh, most consistently high quality and palatable to go back to uh, prior to the Souls games. Uh, with uh, the beloved and infamous Metal Wolf Chaos. Uh, what a weird-ass game. Uh, how did the, the PC remake of that not end up being on every console? That still feels weird to me. Uh, 
but uh, what yeah, um, Metal Wolf Chaos? Yeah, Metal Wolf Chaos. Yeah, it was on PS4 though, right? Was it? I think it, it might. It was on something because I saw it in GameStop. Okay, let me look this up. Metal Wolf Chaos XD. I think it was PS4. Yeah, window. Okay, it was Windows. There was a PS4. There was an Xbox version. The Xbox version feels like it needed to happen because the original Metal Wolf Chaos was a Japan-only Xbox game. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I was just miffed that it wasn't on Switch, which there really wasn't a, a, a reason yeah. not. But it's it's an Xbox game. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Metal Wolf Chaos. Uh, you know, that's that's probably the most infamous for Xbox output. But I mean. Otogi Myth of Demons is quite a good little action game, uh, and it's and sequel Otogi Two Immortal Warriors. Like they, they were prolific. They produced a lot of strange things. Uh, multiple Lost Kingdoms games on GameCube, uh, Shadow Tower Abyss, and Shadow Shadow Tower is like them kind of trying to do proto open world on the PS One. It's hampered technologically to say the least. Uh, but it's it's interesting. It's weird. Uh, and then uh, what a, what a mean game! I remember playing a demo of Shadow Tower. It's like perhaps the worst game to try to demo of all time. It's really up there with just like being so absurdly mean, so utterly bereft of context, and so so difficult to grasp, even when you had every advantage in the world that a demo cannot give you. Uh, yeah, but yeah, there's a, there's a PS2 Shadow Tower Abyss that allegedly got... has a fan translation now, or maybe it's just that the official translation got leaked, because allegedly it got to the point where it was like just about to... Uh, just about to be released on uh, PS2 and then got cancelled like in the 11th hour due to some sort of concept approval issue. Uh... But that one's kind of weird because, but yeah, it's a spin on the King's Field game, but it has guns in it, so it's it's very, it's very different. But yeah, like they they used to be extraordinarily prolific, uh, and they made almost nothing but first-person dungeon crawlers and robot games. Because <laughs> um, like, we, we talk about Armored Core because that was their most prolific series that kept coming to the coming to the West. They had tons of other robot games with names like an. With with all sorts of like weird names. Remember Chrome Hounds? Yeah, it sounds familiar. That was an early Xbox 360 game. Uh, but, oh yeah, and okay, I needed to double check this before I said it. Uh, another Centuries episode, which was a series of like uh, crossover. Uh, robot piloting games by uh, like a combination of Von Presto who do the Super Robot Wars games and From Software uh, to do like a proper like three dimensional like robot piloting game uh, they did like four of those uh, and just just because Von Presto was involved, it had like it had all of the licenses, but also it treated the uh, original characters from Super Robot Wars like they were from an anime, and treated them as part of the crossover as well. Nice. So, uh, but 
Yeah, it's it's a there are like four of these. Another centuries episode, another centuries episode two, another centuries episode R, uh, another centuries episode three, the finals. <laughs> the yeah, like they they used to do just so much stuff. I <laughs> they made uh three games in 2012 and all of them were robot games because <laughs> they did Armored Core 5 and they did a licensed game based off of Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn and they did Steel Battalion Heavy Armor huh um, yeah like they, they used to be like the, the robot game factory in as much as they were anything <laughs> All sorts of different weird robot games. That's that's all gone. That's all gone. Uh, remember Kingsfield Additional? No, is that the PSP one? That's the the, the two PSP ones. Oh, okay. Kingsfield Additional one and two, which uh, both came out in two thousand six. <laughs> I just want to tell. I just want to like paint a picture for how ridiculous their two thousand six was. They released six games. Holy crap. Enchanted Arms, Another Century's Episode 2, Chrome Hounds, Kingsfield Additional 1, Kingsfield Additional 2, and Armored 4. It's, it's wild how prolific a company they were for a very long time. And, like, they're, they're still by no means, like, a slow company, but, like, you know, you'll go a couple of years between major installments of a series, like, it, it, you know, it, it just... They're still a prolific company, and they still do the occasional bout of contract work, but they are they are not the company they once were. No. Constant releases. Constant, constant. There are three uh, there are three from software games for PS2's American launch. Jeez. And two of them are bad. <laughs> One of the, the good one is Armored Core 2. The bad ones are Eternal Ring and Neverbrace. I've complained about them many times. Mm. I need to complain about them. Uh, Eternal Ring is mostly mediocre. It's King's Field without enough... Uh, with, with like a mildly interesting ring uh, crafting system, but held back by just not having a lot of meat on its bones. It's only like four hours long. <laughs> uh, and Evergrace is just trash from top to bottom. Just completely irredeemable trash. Um... And, uh, and that same year, they also managed to put out Adventures of Christie and Green. <laughs> and then the following year, they had Armored Core 2 and Other Age Out. I'd like to point out uh, Armored Core uh, 1 and its first expansion, Armored Core Project Phantasma, came out in the same year. <laughs> they both came out in 1997. Jeez. How? How do you do that? Let me double check this. I need to. I need to check something. What is this? What is this? So I was thinking. Oh, they they must have had Armored Core Project Phantasm. Like Armored Core One must have been a very early 1997 release. No, Armored Core One was a July of 1997. <laughs> Armored Core Project Phantasma 
was a December of 1997. Jesus. It was five months. The fuck are they doing? They had a completed engine. They had very low overhead. And they had a lot of... They had probably spent a fair bit enlisting the services of robot... Uh, anime robot designer Shoji Kawamori that they wanted to pay back. So, Project Phantasma out five months after our course. <laughs> uh, if you don't know Shoji Kawamori, he is uh, he he has been attached to basically every major like robot anime franchise, but the most uh, notable one is that uh, Mac Ross is his baby. Know anything about Macross, and that already says everything. If you don't know anything about Macross, hey, remember Robotech? Well, no, I don't remember Robotech. Not even the name. No, of course <laughs> I remember the name. No, that's, a, that's about it. So Robotech was uh, three different series, uh, messily hybridized in order to make enough episodes for syndication. Uh, but the the crown jewel of it was uh, Super Dimension Fortress Macross. Uh, it was a very successful, uh, very well received series from Japan that was about a uh, robot slash fighter jet pilot uh, fighting in a war against a group of aliens. That spoilers gets resolved by uh, finding out that the uh, warlike tendencies of this group of aliens that is causing them to attack Earth can finally be resolved by the power of idol singers. So uh, it's got a very it's got style to it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm underselling it. It's it's a very good uh, it's a very good show. If you don't have time for the show, uh, do yourself a favor and go watch uh, Macross. Do you remember love? It's a very pretty movie. Uh, that condenses the story of the first show fairly well. But yeah, uh, or watch Macross Plus. That's a very good thing from a bunch of the people who would go on to make Cowboy Bebop. Hmm. And it's only like four episodes. Uh, also, Brian Cranston's in the dub of it for some reason. Because <laughs> back then he did a lot of voiceover and ADR work. Uh, okay, I have gone on just way too long and on record tangential there. Uh, on record, yeah. Um, yeah. First one is good. Uh, I'm going to try to play at least through two. Uh, I, I feel like, yeah. Uh, realistically, it's going to depend upon how long it takes for me to get sick of it. But yeah. I, I, probably won't, I probably won't do them back to back to back. But, you know, I want to, I, I want to bear grounding what the series is by the time the six comes out, and I think I can manage that at least. Uh, for for reasons of practicality, I definitely won't be doing all 15, just because uh, Armored Core 5 is mostly a multiplayer game. Did you know? <laughs> I did know. <laughs> Figured you did. Yes. not really happy about that. Yeah, I feel like it, it was very divisive, that choice. Oh, yeah. Uh, people seem to like Verdict today better. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Verdict Day was better, but I think four, four answers overall, much better. How much? Uh, how, how long time have I been on record for you? 
Uh, it was one of the first PlayStation games I played, the original. Wow. Did you just play all of them? I no, I I missed most of the games in the middle there. I didn't really pick it up again until PS3. Did you play Ninebreaker? For, uh, for the original release of Armored Core 4. So I missed, I missed all I missed all those PS2 games. Literally all of them? Wild. Yeah. Well, I think uh, near the end of the PS2's life, I grabbed one or two to mess around with. I think they're now all exceptionally expensive. Yeah. yeah. Why were Ninebreaker and Formula Front both released in 2004? I don't know. Don't care. Wait. I don't really care about Armored Core story, so I can just, I'll just get whatever one. <laughs> I don't care. No, I just no, no. I need you to. I need you to fucking sit down, shut up, and listen because this is insane. Right. Okay, uh, I can go get a snack or something. I'll be back. <laughs> no, no, this will not be long. <laughs> I am. I'm just. I'm gonna lay some some dates on you, and you're just gonna have to live with them. March two thousand four. Okay. October. 2004. December 2004. All three of them are record games. <laughs> All for the PS2? Uh, two for the PS2, one for the PSP, then shortly after, ports the PS2. <laughs> okay. Armored Core Nexus and Armored Core 9 Breaker came out like nine months apart, and Armored Core Formula Front came out three months after Armored Core 9 Breaker. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know how this happened. I don't know how this happened. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Armored Core. The end. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh no, I can't watch spoilers. Spoilers? Spoilers? Spoilers for the Elite Four? Spoilers, Joe. There's four of them. There is actually something I would consider a spoiler among the Elite Four. Is there? O- only in the sense that I think that like there's a need. One of the ones is... like All the Elite Four you have seen at some point in the game, but one of them is not someone you would expect. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, apparently I have to develop an unhealthy fixation on Armored Core because this is how my brain works. I'm sorry, but I'm mostly sorry to myself. <laughs> being like this. Why am I like this? Wheels, what am I fighting for? Um, to be the very best, like no one ever was. Sure, why not? Good enough. Oh yeah, the other thing I was going to say was that when I was <laughs> grabbing screens of this and dumping the fuckers on co-hosts, uh, I found one that was just a mission called Stop Gang Dark Souls. <laughs> so, you know, perhaps Dark Souls was just in the games all along. But yeah, uh, that's just enough on Let's hit some questions. Questions. 
Isn't it weird that the first true quote-unquote beat-em-up game was a Kunio-kun game, aka Renegade? Yeah, Nekatsukoha Kunio-kun. Released in the English territories as Renegade and treated as sort of a uh, remarketed as having, instead of like high schools, high school uh, dirtbags beating each other up, it became sort of a sort of the, the warriors knockoff uh, concept. Uh, I mean, everything's got to start somewhere. It's, it's more fascinating because Kunio has never been uh, strictly married to the beat em up genre. It's just something that it does. And it has all sorts of, and it has multiple different takes on the beat em up genre that it likes to dip into. The, I think the weirder thing about Renegade is that uh, it was inexplicably popular in Europe uh, to the extent that. Uh, there are uh, Europe-only sequels to Renegade that are exclusively for European computers of ill repute. <laughs> uh, Renegade, Target Renegade, and Renegade 3, the final chapter. That one's about time travel. <sighs> it's bad. It sounds bad. But yeah. Uh... You can you can tell that uh, Renegade's a pretty damn early beat em up just by virtue of the fact that uh, it has really weird fucky controls. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's it's a little fascinating. It's like an artifact. Like uh, Kunio is essentially the first beat em up, but because in the U.S. Renegade was like a blip on the radar. It was not unpopular. Not like it's not a huge game. Uh, Double Dragon kind of ends up inheriting the title, even though it's later because it was the first one that's big here, so that's what we care about here. And I mean, they were made by the same company anyway, which is also why uh, Double Dragon's controls are completely fucked as well. You do not have punch and kick buttons, you have attack forward and attack behind you buttons. Very confusing, very confusing. Uh, concepts. Uh, but yeah. Um, otherwise, Renegade is, you know, pretty. It, it's quite primitive, but it's recognizably a beat em up. There might be some things before it that could be recognized as beat em ups, but that's the first. That's one of the first ones where you could look at it and be like, yep, that's definitely a beat em up. <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting little game just for that. Uh, it's, it's really hard to go back to. Even by beat-em-up standards, it's really hard to go back to. 
But I think it was included in the Kuni Okun World Collection from a few years back, so it's on everything. Mm. And had a ton of Kunio games translated officially for the first time. Play some Gambare Dunk Heroes. I don't know what that is. It's a, it's a big street basketball game where you have three hoops uh. Uh, on top of each other that you can like slam dunk from the top hoop and it'll go through all of them and you'll get it's fun. It's a good arcade sports game. A lot of Kunio's Legacy is wrapped up in being very good arcade sports games like Super Dodgeball and uh, Crash in the White Street Challenge. Kunio uh, became an institution very quickly. And that's part of what makes it sad that it, uh, that it disappeared. Uh, let's see. Why do so many beat-em-up games take place on mean streets? Is this just arcade developers copying the success of Renegade and then Double Dragon? Well, I mean, it's mostly them copying movies. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I would say, uh, we've, we've talked about this with a few different kinds of genres, is that certain genres lend themselves to certain kinds of stories because they logically contextualize each other. So, like... Uh... It's going, it's getting rough. Uh, they, they logically contextualize each other. Um, so, uh, to describe this, um, strategy RPGs are disproportionately about armies because that is the excuse to have enough characters in a combat for each of them to have to serve very specific roles and have to like worry about troop movement. Beat em up routinely end up as like street brawling, both because of the kinds of movies that were in vogue when they were innovative, uh, innovated, as well as just it's just an easy uh, setup for like, oh, we're just gonna punch it. It's just a bunch of people fighting in the streets. Like at the time, there's all sorts of scare stories about like gangs. So, oh, you can just have people fight a gang. Uh, it was it was in movies a lot, and it was in, uh, and it made for a very easy way to make a very specific kind of action game. And you'd see that like eventually, uh, a lot of games their gimmick became that they weren't that setting because that was the setting because that was the thing that made it very simple to construct a beat 'em up like a justification for the kind of game we're making internally. So, yeah. Certain genres just sort of wrap themselves up in that, and of course there's always different complicated reasons, but a lot of it comes down to uh, an obsession, a cultural obsession across multiple uh, cultures of the concept of like street violence. Yeah, you better just heal up everything. Oh yeah. That was uh, rough. Yeah. I forget what her type is. Steel. Oh, steel. That's it. Strong defensive type. Good luck. <laughs> but, yeah, there's just kind of a there's just kind of an ongoing obsession with that aesthetic at the time that those games were popular and in vogue at the time. So now, when you're trying to reconstruct games of that era, you bring that up. And of course, like uh, you know, Renegade is referencing uh, movies. Cuneo is referencing the Eternal. Uh, 
you can tell the like proper original Kunio. Like it, it's a little more harmless because it's just sort of like this this notion of the Japanese street punk who beats up other Japanese street punks and doesn't really do a whole lot to anyone else because they're all just busy turfing with each other and it's it's very like it's a silly notional like cultural idea of a street punk rather than an actual person that could ever exist. Uh, and and that kind of uh, concept continued well into like the aughts with the Kenkabancho games and yeah. Just just an eternal evergreen thing. Uh, can Final Fight ever recover? How traumatic is Streetwise to the fandom? I don't think the problem is Streetwise. Like, Streetwise was horrible and did badly, but, like, I don't think that's where the damage comes from. It's just that that kind of game just isn't in vogue anymore. You can't really make a AAA Final Fight game. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, like, I, I could, I, I would say that I would not count out them ever, never doing a, like, throwback Final Fight game in the same way that Streets of Rage 4 happened, where they just do, like, a stylized, relatively, like, low-budget, like, not cheap-looking, but low-budget, uh, throwback that sort of shows what we've learned about the Emo Kusanyo for the past 20 years. But, like, Final Fight Streetwise is not a death blow just because it's bad, but because it shows a certain rigidity within what Final Fight is perceived as being. Uh, you, like, if you're not Walk into the right punching dudes, you get a lot of questions as to why you're even here. So, like, Final Fight Street Wise kind of. Oh, God. I have to stretch and do this long. Uh, Final Fight Street Wise, uh, like, there's this period in the mid PS2 era where there's multiple people attempting to crack how to make the 3D beat em up, not realizing that they kind of already did when they made. When Devil May Cry innovated what people would end up calling like character action games, that that kind of was where beat em ups went, and part of that was not being as rigid by introducing aspects of other genres, introducing particularly uh, a sense of having a broad move set where each move had like a certain function and utility, much more like a fighting game. Uh, the it gave a much greater sense of complexity to bring back the uh, like, but the the issue with Final Fight is that you run into this rigidity of like that several of these games really solve this time. Uh, you had uh, Final Fight Streetwise, Beat Down Fist of Vengeance, uh, Urban Rain, I think it was called from Namco. There's a bunch of these, and they're all kind of trying to crack the same nut of, like, how do we re make beat-em-ups relevant? And none of them came to a satisfaction because the conception of the beat-em-up they were harkening back to was extremely limited. And the modern successors to the genre were games that were pushing action games as a whole forward. Uh, you know, like, if you have ever played uh, fucking 
beat down Fist of Vengeance, I'm sorry. If you ever played Urban Rain, I'm less sorry, but still. Oof. Uh, the, the perception of what they had to be was very limited. And like Final Fight Street, like, th there are other attempts to sort of hybridize beat-em-ups to uh, bring out games that were able to have like more longevity. Rockstar did so with the Warriors, which did it by sort of hybridizing in some open-world elements, uh, as was expected of Rockstar. And like Final Fight Streetwise and uh, Deep Down Fist of Vengeance are both trying to do that too, but it's actually really hard. Uh, and you end up having to, you have to fill the time with something other than just endlessly punching games. Like, beat were already criticized for being repetitive when they were new. And when you were expected to get, like, at least six hours, at the very least, out of your $50 PS2 game, who boy, beat your beat-em-up needed to have something else. <laughs> and it was just very difficult to find other things for players to do in that space. And, you know, it, there are things things that are good about that, but it's just, it's just a lot. It's a lot to deal with. But yeah, I, I think that like you could bring back Final Fight and like you know, but I think that the issue is also just that Final Fight as a brand has been just subsumed into Street Fighter as we've seen, even with just the hype for Street Fighter Six, which is very heavily heavily on oh World Tour mode is you running around Metro City. That's where you are in that. Like Final Fight just isn't as strong of a brand as Street Fighter, and so. It's like if they were going to bring back, if they were going to make a proper beat em up, they, they have so many things that don't bring with them expectations that you might find stifling when making them. So I, I think the, the issues with Final Fight are things that were symptomatic in Streetwise, not created by it. I think that if you. If Capcom came out and said that they were making a big budget uh, Final Fight game, uh, the reason people might be leery about it would just be questions about how such a game functions, not like any sort of residual damage that Streetwise, Streetwise might have caused. Especially because any any future Final Fight game would be just summarily ignoring anything that happened in Streetwise. I don't think they would even acknowledge that Cody might have a brother running around somewhere. <laughs> uh, isn't it weird that there are more bad Double Dragon games than good ones and people still remember the series fondly I mean the, the thing about it is that very few people played the bad ones yeah like that's that's really the, the key for how much something can really damage a franchise's reputation it can't just be like oh this sucked it has to be this sucked in a way that, like, irrevocably taints a lot of people's perceptions, and that requires the games to sell extremely well. Like, things that kill franchises are games that are hugely popular uh, in terms of sales, and then everyone, like, everyone kind of formally agrees afterwards, that sucked, and we've look past way too much to in our excitement for this 
when I think of games that have like successfully killed a brand, and it's going to be kind of mean, I think of something like StarCraft Two, which wasn't even like infamous for like, oh, this is bad, but it, it was like this kind of cursed success, where like the game was not bad enough to immediately dissuade anyone, but not good enough to hold anyone's attention by the time they finish releasing it. Like, just this absolute cursed success that... Yes! It wasn't that it... He's back! Yep. He's back. Good old Larry. For the record, he does not have the same... He will not be using normal items. Aww. You want me to tell you what type you'll be using? No. <laughs> okay. But, uh... Yeah, um... Uh, uh, on the StarCraft II question, how I wonder how much of that has to do with that whole genre kind of fading away. I mean, on some level, yes. Like the the RTS has like lost a lot of steam. I don't think it was inevitable. I don't think it was impossible that like if StarCraft Two were a better game, I think it probably would have kept RTSs on life support a lot longer. Yeah. Like the issue is that StarCraft Two is not a bad game, but it was the sequel to StarCraft One, and for anyone to care, it needed to be an expert. And by like, I'm not an RTS guy, but based on reactions, it seems like it was not an excellent game. So, you know, it just, and because of the way that they disseminated it, where it's like, yeah, there's going to be three StarCraft 2s, and it ended up taking, like, five years for all three parts to come out. By the time Legacy of the Void came out, I don't think I heard peep about that goddamn game. <laughs> like, people wanted to play as the army they actually cared about, but the entire campaign was one army. But yeah, like, that's the kind of thing that, like, actually deflates a franchise. Like, you know, th this kind of game where it's, like, it it's a very public, like, people are disappointed. That's the other thing, is that Final Fight Streetwise successfully disappointed no one, because no one had expectations <laughs> of Final Fight Streetwise. It's a very late PS2 game for a franchise that had not seen any sort of release since Final Fight Revenge, which is a very late Saturn game uh, slash arcade game, which means that between the fact that it only came out in Japan officially and the fact that like it's an exceptionally obscure arcade game, no one fucking played that. last Final Fight game anyone had actually seen was Final Fight Tough, aka Final Fight 3. Uh, there, there was absolutely no one that had, had expectations for Streetwise. Streetwise did not kill Final Fight. Streetwise, Streetwise failed to revive Final Fight. Your most unrealistic dream about this Somehow I have this desire for Falcom to make everyone who used to work for them before founding Quintet. Help them develop a new Quintet games and ask you to use a Fashira to make the soundtrack. That's that's quite a that's quite a dream. Uh, be curious as to what that would look like, just by virtue of the fact that like Quintet are people that split off after it used two and three. So 
very very early on after that initial uh, like that initial brain brain drain. Uh, same with ancient, of course. But I'm sure that if if Falcom did uh, were you know uh, were willing to play ball hard enough, they probably could get Yuzo Koshiro to at least compose a guest track or something. I don't think they've ever really had much of a desire to do that. Um, Like that was that was so Barry Barrington. Like that was like thirty five years ago at this stage. Uh, but yeah. Um, I don't know that. Like I don't. I don't typically think in these terms. Because like a lifetime of disappointments has engendered a fantasia within me. And if you could decode that sentence, I'm sorry. And if you could decode that sentence and are like, oh, that's sad, I'm also sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't really have like these like these green collaboration ideas because it's just like I don't expect things to happen. Yeah. Uh, you got anything like this, please? No, nothing I could think of off the top of my head. It's like when I when I think of these kinds of scenarios, it's more just like X person gets access to an IP, but I don't necessarily like so they can finish out something or make another entry. But it's not like uh, you know the 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 dream scenarios are very. I'm generally more of a sometimes dead is better sort of guy anyway. Uh, speaking of Falcom, what happened to them after they finished these two? I read an interview of Toshihiro Kondo in the Ultimate Guide to Fantasy Gaming and said that someone at Falcom told them at the time the company did not have the money or the manpower to develop different parts of E3, hence why it and then E4 and 5 were outsourced. I'm pretty sure E3 still has an internal, it was still internal Falcom. Certainly, plenty of ports of it were outsourced, but that was also just Falcom demo. They basically they would make some of the PC versions, and then all the console versions would end up outsourced to some some company. Or another. I don't think that Wanderers from East was completely outsourced the way that East Four was. Let me double check to see that there's not something particular that I'm missing. But yeah, they only list the developer. Wanderers is Nihon Falcom that I can find. Um, but yeah, like there was just like some of it seems to have been money, but I think a lot of it was really just like you saw a lot of companies, a lot of companies spring out of uh, of them around that time. So I think that perhaps there was some toxic element in management. Perhaps there was. Uh, like a, a some sort of like financial crunch that caused them to have to let go of a bunch of employees. I don't know what exactly happened there. Obviously, uh, I don't know that there's any uh, English resource that ha has a definitive statement on that. Uh, I'll see. I'll see. If, I'll, I'll look back into this since I have been 
you know, looking through East Games, but I've, I've never heard of anything other than that they went through a tremendous brain drain post three. That's what causes uh, East Four to be the game that it is, and why it takes them so long to make like Legend of Heroes three and all that. Um, but I've never heard what was the precise cause of that brain drain. Uh, but it's a. Uh, it's like, it's one of those things. Uh, it, it is it is very much that, like, you, you can, the results of that brain drain are very obvious because uh, a bunch of companies form out of it. Uh, you have Quintet, as we already mentioned. You have uh, Ancient, who were Koshiro's company. Uh, you have Studio Alex, who were uh, key developers behind the Lunar Games? Uh, just to just to name a few, like there there are a lot of companies that sort of sprung out of the remnants of people who had left Falcom, uh, either after East Two or after East Three. It seems like, based on when certain companies formed, it seems like there was an exodus after East Two and then a bigger exodus after East Three. But yeah, they kind of they just run out of steam. There's I, I don't know that there's ever been a definitive statement. I don't think certainly at the time they weren't, and I don't think even uh, I, I don't certainly at the time I don't think they were publicly traded. So there was no one that they were specifically accountable to to explain why the fuck that they had just like evaporated. Uh, Playing for Old Peace Squad makes me want to question what the hell was CD Projekt thinking when they made Cyberpunk 2077, they could have just made it Deus Ex Clone and everyone would have been happy. They kind of did. Like, <laughs> Cyberpunk is kind of an open world Deus Ex. So I've been beaten on this drum a number of times. That's basically what it is. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I think the game is good, actually, once, once it's fully patched. But, you know... Uh, if you listen to the most recent backtrack, there is definitely still disagreement about that. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> the uh, there were some very angry people. That <laughs> was not one of one of them. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, but like the the final version of Cyberpunk resembled nothing so much as an open world Deus Ex. They kind of did. Uh, and, you know, I, th I think that, like, it definitely has issues, but it definitely is an interesting game. And that's the thing I generally care the most about at this stage. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's hit one more because my throat is starting to get out. Okay. Okay, we'll hit two more because one of, <laughs> one of them is, like, a three-second response. Uh, speaking of being weird, how weird can you make a setting without it being detrimental to the gameplay? Would you like a game that takes place completely in Zen? No, but that's because Zen's not fun. <laughs> uh, the answer is that, like, it depends how approachable you want the game to be. Uh, like, the, weird the weirder and more alien the setting, the harder it is for people to care. Uh, 
definitely that's just sort of more human-like you make something, the more that people can latch onto it and relate to it. The more alien you make it, by extension, the harder it is for people to relate to it. Uh, I would say it's very hard to justify, unless this is very specifically your intent, making a game where it's not obvious what anything is or does, because that makes traversal complicated. It makes basic world interaction complicated. So unless your objective is to make world interaction complicated, that's not a that's not a choice worth making. That has to be a choice you're making. Uh, so you know, uh, once you're uh, being you know, the, the more that you're the more proper nouns you're asking the player to know about and care about, the more that you're going to start bleeding people who refuse to care about it, so you need to ground them in something uh, that they can understand. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a sliding scale of how niche are you willing to make your game? Uh, because you can't, there are certainly people who want, like, a completely alien experience. Uh, there, there's, there's always an audience for the cabal screens of the world. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're a relatively small audience. Well, let's go play Gabal Spring. What? Gabal Spring. Oh, okay. That clears that up. Gabal uh, Spring is a weird PS1 art game. So I, I don't know how to describe what you actually do in Gabal Spring. <laughs> uh, it's technically a licensed game, though. So. Yeah, I, I'm not going to try to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> Go look up the ball screen, B-A-B-A-L-L. -L. Uh, but yeah, to, to hit one last question. Ah, oh, it's your teacher. You'll never guess what his uh, type is. Dragon. Yeah. No, cause it's because he just said it. <laughs> oh, he did say it. But yeah, um... And we're, we're going to hit this last question because it's relatively short. Is Waluigi a mistake? No. No, he's... Uh, he's a nightmare, yeah. but he's not made by mistake. Uh, does he need to exist outside of sports games? Probably not. He did need to exist in the dance game. He yes. is the final boss of Dance Dance Revolution Mario nice. But uh, DDR through... Waluigi is, I think Waluigi works just by virtue of, like, he's a nightmare. He's supposed to be a nightmare. He's hellish looking. Uh, but I, I've always had a greater respect for Waluigi in part because of Charles Martinet's philosophy of Waluigi. Like, he, ha he has interpretations of Waluigi, and he, he envisions Wario as, like, just a greedy asshole. Like, like, he's just that kind of villain. But he envisions Waluigi as, oh, this is a, an extremely self-pitying guy. <laughs> like a guy who thinks that the entire world has been rigged against him. And it's like, you know what? That, that's, that's, that's a fair interpretation. That gives him some That gives him some gravitas. That gives him a character. So there, there's more to him than just being a weird meme slash joke. <laughs> Yeah, 
Uh, I'll, I'll stick up for Waluigi. He's fine. He's weird. He's funny. He's supposed to be weird. He's supposed to be funny. And that's uh, that's all that matters sometimes. But yeah, uh, that that about runs me out of steam. So I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, go ahead and close this down. Uh, since Gaijin's not here, I need to very quickly run down the uh, existence of a forthcoming sale on uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, a uh, 10, 11 volume strong uh, series of uh, novellas, along with an extremely long uh, paralogue uh, that can be purchased on Kindle or Kindle Unlimited. Uh, or in dead tree form on Amazon by searching for Michael Iarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-E. But you may want to wait until after January when there will be a, an author's birthday sale, which I believe will have, like, the first volume will just be... It's, it's either very cheap or free, and then, like, the rest of them will be on sale. It'll... You know, you'll, you'll have a lot of... You'll be able to get a lot of bang for your buck. It's a lot of... A lot of good uh, fiction of people dice rolling and making probably fairly regrettable choices. <laughs> so, so give that a look. Give that a look. And, and give it a rating if you do read it. Um, what else? What you want to plug? Um, you can catch catch us on this channel, twitch.tv slash squeals if you're not already watching live. Uh, on Wednesdays for the recording of this very show. And on Sundays, when we do uh, Sunday Night Shenanigans, it's just us playing some multiplayer games, which the past few weeks has, has been uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, and probably will be again this week. Um, and occasionally we do some adventures in platforming, a little overdue for the next one, which will be uh, Sonic Frontiers. Yeah. Uh, but that is coming up in the future, and you can search for Ask Wheels on YouTube, and you can find uh, the last one we did, which was complete playthrough of um, the first Klonoa game. Oh, uh, Door to Phantom Eli. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So check fun that game, out. Even the wheels have some difficulties. Uh, and be sure to check out uh, Twitch.tv/rpgamer to check out all the regular streams there, uh, which has just a ton of different staff members uh, streaming on it now and it definitely Special shout out to recommend. Order, uh, Tam yes who is, is always uh, willing to give us a shout out so gotta give that the response we got so, yeah uh, I think he was talking about getting back into Tales of Attorney and I haven't had a chance to look at the stream and see what mm. he's gotten yeah um as for me, still, still researching, still writing, but still not ready to show anything because I am a coward of the high school. <laughs> uh, but someday. But for now, uh, you can ask us questions under the comment section for this very episode, or you can ask them in the podcast section of the Discord. Uh, we're always happy to get questions. Thank you once again to Fireminer for providing our questions this week. Uh, otherwise, uh, if you don't have access to, if you aren't in the Discord and you want to join, which you should, it's a lovely community. Uh, if you aren't in the Discord, you can go to 
uh, the RPGamer.com uh, and check the community tab and find an invite to the Discord where your wildest dreams and fantasies may come true as long as those wildest dreams and fantasies involve uh, jawing at people about your favorite RPGs and otherwise. So, uh, you know, give it a look. It's a nice place. Even if you don't want to ask us questions, but we do appreciate it if you ask us questions. Otherwise, though, uh, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. I'm not just going, but I'm rising above it. Now you're crashing and burning. God knows you didn't earn.